The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody! Not just anybody. Help. You know I need someone. Help. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 203 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Athley, your host. Our topic today is personal injury law, paraplegia and quadriplegia, and family caregivers. Paraplegia and quadriplegia are caused by injury to the spinal cord. Paraplegia is paralysis that affects all or part of the trunk, which some people call the torso, legs, and pelvic organs. Quadriplegia is paralysis that affects the arms, hands, trunk, torso, legs, and pelvic organs. The paralysis affects many, many important body functions. Injury to the spinal cord is mostly caused by car and motorcycle accidents. These are the most common causes of all. Workplace accidents, sports and recreation injuries alcohol, and certain diseases. There's no way to reverse the damage caused by spinal cord injury. Rehabilitation and care allow many people with spinal cord injuries to lead productive, independent lives. But the rehabilitation and care are needed for the entire life of the person with spinal cord injury which means that the rehabilitation and care must be identified and planned for the entire life of the person and paid for during the entire life of the person, which is why our topic today, personal injury law, paraplegia and quadriplegia and family caregivers, is so important. To discuss it, our guests are Matthew Padberg and Dan Thompson. Matthew is a principal and partner in the Padberg and Corrigan Law Firm. He concentrates his practice on representing individuals and families who've been impacted by personal injury or death. He's represented persons injured or killed through acts of medical negligence, product liability, nursing home abuse, aircraft accidents, helicopter accidents, worksite accidents, construction site and crane accidents, and death caused by electrocutions and chemical exposures. And he received his law degree from the University of Missouri, Columbia, in 1983. Since 2001, he served as an adjunct professor of law at the St. Louis University Law School. Dan's life altered in 1980 following a car accident which left him with quadriplegia. 
He founded the London and District Sports Association, played wheelchair rugby and coached the Ontario wheelchair rugby team to win the Canadian Championship. In 1996, he became a registered rehabilitation professional. In 2006, he became a registered vocational professional. In 2008, he graduated as a life care planner with highest honors from Capital University's law school certification program. And with his own company, DG Rehabilitation Technologies, which operates across North America, he develops life care plans, vocational reports, case management services, rehabilitation plans, and housing. So welcome to the show, Matthew and Dan. Thank you. Thank you. Now, start with you, Matthew. Please tell us a little bit more about your life and career. All right. Um, well, I, as you mentioned, I've been in the private practice of law since 1983. I, I'm a St. Louisan by birth and nativity. I grew up here in St. Louis, um, did my undergraduate work at Tulane University in New Orleans, Louisiana, then entered law school at the University of Missouri in 1980. Uh, graduating in 1983. Uh, from there, I took a post at the U.S. District Court here in St. Louis. It's called the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Missouri, where I was a law clerk for a federal district judge for about 15 months, uh, which is an experience where you expose to trial work and uh, assist the judge in rendering decisions in various aspects of his duties as a judge. Uh, in 1984, in the fall of 1984, I entered private practice. Uh, my practice at that time and since has concentrated, as you described earlier, in the area of personal injury. Uh, I, that's the only kind of work I do. I represent plaintiffs, which in the law means uh, persons or families impacted by injury through the acts of others. Uh, the practice has um, kind of expanded over the years. It was initially uh, purely personal injury related to uh, motor vehicle accidents, trucking accidents, and uh, product liability, is a, it has since expanded into medical malpractice, a toxic torts, and um, many other areas where uh, people are at risk or exposed to harm or injury. And uh, I've been doing that now. As you're, you reminded me when you t- said I graduated in 1983, it's been 30 years. It's a quick 30 years. And um, that's where I specialize in right now. Thanks. Dan, please tell us more about your life and career. Sure. I, uh, I grew up in uh, the small town, if you consider 300,000, I guess, small, uh, London, Ontario, and uh, had a relatively normal life and reached all normal milestones until I hit 16 years of age when I was in a uh, catastrophic car accident. And even then, I knew that uh, I wouldn't allow it to uh, keep me down. And I guess, thank goodness, I had very good family support. Uh, I'm the youngest of nine. I have seven sisters or seven mums, depending how you look at it. Uh, my brother, who refers to me as his one and only, and then, of course, uh, my mom and dad. And uh, uh, I guess through their support, uh, as well as uh, luckily having a bit of gray matter between my ears, I was able to apply myself and uh, went on, I guess, to uh, take uh, college courses. I took uh, radio broadcasting. And then uh, I decided to uh, pursue, um, uh, you know, the uh, workforce. And I've done everything from uh, um, work as a collections officer in a uh, small security company uh, to 
to uh, working in the provincial government, placing people with disabilities. I also did a stint with a company called Colvox Communications, uh, and in essence, uh, that was Canada's first voice recognition company. We did an IPO, and I was able to uh, help spearhead uh, raising $14 million in a public offering. And then uh, I've used my knowledge and experience to uh, apply that into helping other people in similar circumstances, and hence that's why I've become a, a registered REA professional, registered vocational professional, and of course a, a life care planner. And uh, luckily, through uh, my various pursuits, I've been able to travel all over North America to uh, to that end. So, right now, Matthew. Please tell us about your work in personal injury law as it specifically relates to paraplegia and quadriplegia. Okay. Well, when you do the kind of work that I do, you see many people injured in many different ways and by many different means. Um, And I represent folks who have, um, by comparison to paraplegia and quadriplegia, uh, much less severe injuries. And then, of course, uh, on the scale of severe, most severe, that would fall in the category of paraplegia or quadriplegia. And for better or worse, we see a fair number of people that have sustained injuries like that. We'll see them, as you mentioned in the opening remarks of the show, you see them primarily in motor vehicle-related events. So trucking accidents, car accidents, um, motor vehicle collisions, pedestrians who have been hit, we represented because it does take a fair amount of force to create that kind of injury. But you also see in the practice that I have uh, people having injuries like that uh, as a result of medical care gone wrong. Uh, Sometimes it's not uh, a mechanical injury such as a broken neck. It's an infection causing swelling of the spinal cord uh, not properly addressed or affected by some toxic substance which allows the cord to swell within the spinal canal and, and basically strangle it, uh, resulting in the same kind of injury as you would see or expect from a traumatic um, injury to the neck and spine. So we've been representing, you know, people in all walks of life. Young, you know, unfortunately, we've seen children. We've seen teenagers. We've seen, of course, adults. Um, We tend to see injuries like this in higher-risk professions. Uh, Construction comes to mind first. There's a lot of things in in a construction area that can cause a lot of harm. Objects falling from overhead are a source of um, quadriplegia and paraplegia in in our experience. Um, Equipment that's around that people aren't completely aware of. Uh, There's falling hazards either off buildings or into uh, tunnels or ditches that we've seen. Um, We've had a case where there was an dynamiters were using explosives to dig a tunnel. So there's just a wide variety of circumstances where folks can unfortunately sustain these kind of injuries. And that's a, when, when we get them, they're challenged. I know we'll talk more in detail about the kind of representation they need. That's right. Thanks. Dan, please tell us about your work in litigation support as it relates to paraplegia and quadriplegia. Dan? Sure. I, uh, uh, my job is really, uh, in some ways, quite simple in that uh, when someone's been identified as having a catastrophic injury, paraplegia or quadriplegia, um, it's my job, I guess, to work in a multidisciplinary framework to look at what medical recommendations have been uh, put forth and then uh, try to come up with a uh, uh, a figure, 
that's going to provide them with the necessary uh, tools, uh, i.e. goods and services that they will need to move on with their life. And, and it's a means, I guess, of trying, uh, and I emphasize the word trying, to recapsulate their pre-existing lifestyle, uh, clearly, depending on what they uh, did before. Um, you know, we have to look at uh, trying to recapture that so that they can uh, live to the fullest, you know, family life, uh, work life, uh, or anything else uh, within the confines of what dollars will provide as opposed to what uh, uh, you know, other uh, goods and services will put in place. Um, I also work in terms of identifying what type of jobs these individuals may or may not be able to do. I mean, clearly a construction worker, as Matt has alluded to, uh, who needs all of their physical faculties isn't going to be able to pick up a sledgehammer anymore, but they may be able to use the pre-existing knowledge that they have working in construction to become a draftsman or uh, to do other some, uh, some related work or something even totally different. But that would all depend on each individual. You have to look at what that individual can or cannot do uh, and then, of course, there may or may not be other related injuries, i.e. a brain injury or whatever the case may be. But uh, clearly, I don't work uh, in isolation. And even if I do come up with the numbers or a value as to how much it's going to cost to allow them to get up and dress to do the things that they need to do, then those numbers would typically go to an actuary who would come up with what we call a present-day value uh, or an economist and those uh, particular disciplines then would uh, come up with how much it's going to uh, cost in today's dollars to ensure that this person has resumed their pre-existing lifestyle as best as possible with the monies available. Right. Now, I'm just going to add one quick comment to what you're both saying, and that is the question also of how these injuries are handled at emergency time. That is to say, when someone um, has had some kind of accident, if they're not treated in such a way that there may be a spinal injury, then, in fact, moving them around can create one. So that's just another factor. And it's what it points to is that we all should be aware of uh, the risk of spinal injury. Now, on that point, it's time for us to take a break. This is Dr. Gordon Adley, and my guests are Matthew Padberg and Dan Thompson. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to share success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Hear about personal growth, building a better business, inspirational life stories, and personal branding. You'll find it every day at voiceamericaempowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. If you think you've seen online TV before... 
Let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. We're on Facebook, along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Matthew Padberg and Dan Thompson. Our topic is Personal Injury Law paraplegia and quadriplegia and family caregivers. Let's talk about claims, compensation and the ways in which these relate to the effects and challenges of paraplegia and quadriplegia. Matthew, first for you, what's meant by claim and compensation in personal injury law and how should persons diagnosed with paraplegia or quadriplegia and their family caregivers understand these terms? Well, the the terms can often be used interchangeably, although in the practice of law, they're dealt with slightly differently. So a claim, uh, as I use the claim here, at least in the Midwest, is um, the assertion of a right, the potential assertion of a right against another person or entity for damages. Now, a claim can be a workers' compensation claim, which we have here in Missouri and most of the states here in the United States uh, have their own workers' compensation laws. And in that context, a claim is made against an employer when an employee uh, has been injured in the scope and course of their employment. And there are certain rights that each employee is entitled to when that occurs, including medical treatment, uh, pay while they're recovering, and uh, payment for any disability that they sustain. And generally, that's where we refer to claim. Now, compensation, of course, is a slightly different term in the sense that Compensation refers to um, the payment that satisfies the damages that the claimant has. So simply stated, if um, someone is injured by the acts of another's negligence or even in, in the context of a workers' compensation claim, compensation is that sum which fairly and justly compensates that person for medical expenses, for lost income, for future lost earning capacity um, for disfigurement if it occurs, for disability, for pain, for suffering, and those items that uh, we generally refer to as general damages. And so those two concepts are very, very important, of course, for anybody affected by paraplegia and quadriplegia. My challenge as an attorney is both as an attorney seeking those uh, damages for my client, but I'm also, especially in the early stages of any client's injury, paraplegia and quadriplegia, I am truly a counselor in the sense that um, many of my clients who I see early in their injury are 
in a state of, you know, anger or fear or frustration. They're very worried about their future. They're very worried about what's going to happen to them and their family down the road. So from a legal perspective, even though we're pursuing the legal ends of the case, early on in the case, we're really trying to offer counsel and perhaps put these clients in touch with individuals that can start them on the road to recovery, uh, the most important of which, and I'll, I'll defer to Dan on this, is believing and knowing that you can and will have a productive life um, if you apply yourself appropriately. Thanks. Dan, let's go straight into that. Talking about your role in litigation support and the point that Matthew's just raised, that is giving people that sense that with the kind of help they need and should get, they will be able to live a successful, fulfilling life. So what's your role in that, Dan? Well, sure. My role may vary depending on which hat I wear. Uh, as an example, if I'm um, acting as a counselor or if I'm acting as a case manager, I may be advocating on behalf of my clients to secure um, counseling or, or other means to recoup their uh, their lifestyle prior to the accident. However, if I'm acting as a certified life care planner or a vocational expert, it's my job, at least as, as possible, uh, to at least appear to be neutral. Um, in my practice, you're either hired by uh, a plaintiff lawyer, such as Matthew, uh, or you could be hired by a defense lawyer. And typically, because I guess I've been successful in uh, my personal and professional life, I would say that 80% of my practice is defense-related. In other words, I work for the insurance companies or the lawyers who represent those insurance companies to ensure that they get what is reasonable and necessary and not, uh, as I put it, what's greedy and over the top. So in other words, uh, you want to ensure that they get you know, the wheelchairs or the attendant care or the things that are going to make their lives easier, but do they need a house in the Hamptons to um, offset the pain and suffering that they had before? So it's not supposed to be a windfall necessarily. It's supposed to be a way of, uh, of getting that. So again, depending on what my role is, if I'm a mentor or if I'm acting in a peer support, then I would try to counsel somebody and try to show them what is possible despite the fact that they can't move their legs or despite the fact that they can't do this or can't do that. But there's a lot of things that they can do, a lot of things that they can put in place to improve their quality of life. So, um, you know, that's really what we're looking at. Plus, it's been my own personal experience and professional experience that if someone's given something, I don't think they appreciate it as much as that they, they've earned it. Um, you know, a, a going back to pre-accident or even after the accident and in, uh, in, uh, uh, being involved in wheelchair rugby, if we won, it's much more fulfilling than if I won. At least that's the way I found it. Very good. Matthew, let's ask you this. When you're consulted for your legal advice, what information do you need to help you to come to the conclusion that someone has a claim for compensation in the way you described it for paraplegia or quadriplegia. Matthew? Well, that entails um, developing a fair number of facts, but you can start to arrive at some conclusions with some basics. So if a person comes to me who's received an injury in a motor vehicle accident, um, I can quickly, of course, get a, the... Uh, 
sequence of events from the client, but I can talk to witnesses fairly readily, get a police report, and have some sense of whether or not there is a potential claim for compensation. In order to have a claim for compensation, of course, you have to have culpability on the other party. In other words, you have to be able to prove, more likely than not, that another party was careless or negligent, as we call it in the law, or under different circumstances that the product was defective or the doctor violated some standard of care. So depending on the context in which the injury arose will um, really dictate exactly what I'm going to need. But I can make a fairly reasonable estimate of whether or not there's a viable claim based uh, only on the client's rendition of the facts, talking to a few witnesses, looking at medical records, and determining whether uh, there is, in fact, uh, an actionable cause of action, as we call it, or just an actionable negligence from another party. Right. Dan, I want to ask you about the challenges faced by persons with paraplegia a quadriplegia. What are the things that make their life the most challenging? The the things that are really tough for them uh, in going on with their lives and being successful following paraplegia or quadriplegia. Dan? Sure. I think you have to first look at their acute care. I think when someone's had a, their accident initially, as Matt alluded to, uh, they may be angry or just the whole adjustment. Uh, they have a whole uh, myriad of, uh, uh, of medical challenges above and beyond the spinal cord injury. For example, uh, during their acute care and when they're being triaged, they're primarily ensuring that the person's going to stay alive. So as such, they may be on hard surfaces, and as such, they may develop pressure ulcers, and they can be uh, quite profound. In fact, some people get ulcers that are so bad that it actually becomes septic, goes into the bones, and, and uh, once it becomes systemic, uh, such as that, then obviously it may even cause death. Uh, back in the day, renal failure was one of the biggest obstacles that people had to deal with. But I think once they're above and beyond getting out of uh, the hospital or their acute care, I think one of the biggest things is attendant care. Uh, in fact, even myself right now, um, I'm lucky enough to be able to live half the year in Arizona and half the year in Canada. But although that may be a lifestyle that is either desirable or uh, uh, perhaps envious of others, from a logistical standpoint, it's difficult to maintain good quality attendant care. I just discovered that my um, second attendant back in Canada has actually been diagnosed with uh, uh, having cancer, so as such, she's not going to be available. So. I now have to rerun an advertisement and try to hire my own people. So I would say uh, making sure that you've got good attendant care to get you up and dressed, make sure you've got three meals a day, uh, ensure that you're in a good position to go to work or do all the things you need to do, and uh, become a good provider would be, I think, one of the biggest challenges. The other thing, too, is to, I think, have something to look forward to. You want to make sure that you can uh, feel good about yourself that you're going to work or, or have some purpose or meaning in life, and sometimes finding that niche, as I talked about before, as to what you can do based on what you used to do uh, can be somewhat of a challenge. So if I'm in that counseling role that I mentioned before, I try to advise people what is possible for them. So. Let me just ask you both very quickly. Um, first of all, Matt, 
Matthew and then Dan. Matthew, what about depression? Uh, I've seen that in the literature. Is that something that has to be contended with and factored into the legal action, Matthew? It really does from two different perspectives. Um, for me, uh, depression is a, uh, a natural result, of course, of the injury. Anybody can imagine uh, the depression that might set in. And I, if, for purposes of legal action, I need to establish that in some way. Maybe hire a psychologist, psychiatrist who can evaluate my client or at least uh, start to see and treat my client. Uh, it comes into another play, though, for me, and it's on an interpersonal relationship with my client. Uh, you know, the clients that I have haven't known me before they were injured. And since it's such a catastrophic loss, they have to put an enormous amount of trust in me. And when they go through these different stages of adjustment, as Dan mentioned, uh, whether it's depression or fear or anger, uh, there's an awful lot of conversation. There, there's many conversations I have. They call a lot. They want to know what's going on. The process is slow. Uh, the fact that the legal process is slow, I think, contributes somewhat to people's uh, depression. So it's something that we really deal with on several different levels, one trying to prove it and one trying to deal with it on an interpersonal level. Now, Dan, I'm going to ask you uh, about depression and the way in which you work with it um, to help, but we have to take the break now. So in the next segment, I'll begin by asking you that question. So we'll take the break now. This is Dr. Gordon Adley and my guests are Matthew Patberg and Dan Thompson. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You need to live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our listeners have told us that they want to be motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement around the clock. And we've responded to you. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel, coming soon. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Matthew Padberg and Dan Thompson. Our topic is personal injury law 
paraplegia and quadriplegia and family caregivers. Dan, I'd asked you, but you didn't get a chance to reply, about the work you do regarding depression that occurs with these serious injuries. Please answer that now. Sure. I mean, uh, I think depression can be uh, so damaging to a person's psyche uh, and prevent them from reaching their full potential. Um, Obviously, uh, depression can stop them from uh, capitulating or or, uh, cooperating with their healthcare professionals, uh, listening to what's in their best interest in terms of uh, uh, staying off uh, their uh, their buttocks to prevent pressure sores. they could lead to uh, uh, alcoholism or other uh, dependencies, uh, which again could further uh, perpetuate the problem. I know when I went through rehab, there was one gentleman who went off on a LOA or leave of absence, uh, took a hit of acid, and when he came back, his legs were so locked. And uh, uh, and then, of course, when he uh, you know he had his spasms, he literally uh, flipped right over the arm rail and onto the floor. Um, as I said, luckily in my own situation, I've been blessed with having such a strong family support that I guess has enabled me to come over challenges. But even one of the biggest challenges I had uh, was when I went through my divorce. It wasn't so much in terms of uh, um, that she was leaving or, or that she left. It was more that uh, um, it was getting out of it from a financial standpoint. Uh, uh, in Ontario, we have what we call a common law uh, setup so that what you had before you know, the marriage, you keep what you accumulated or lost during the marriage, you split. And of course, anything afterwards is there. And to untie yourself or unencumber yourself is far more difficult than dealing with my initial accident. And as I said, uh, so when I try to help people, I try to show them what positive things are there. Even something simple. Sorry, go ahead, Yeah. I was just going to say, I'm just going to stop you there because I want to move on to another question. But that's a big story that you've just been telling. Now, let's talk more about the lawsuits. So, Matthew, what are the steps that you take when you've come to the opinion that a person has a claim for compensation? Well, the first thing we do, of course, is um, we initiate a lawsuit. There are the options of trying to avoid that and contacting the prospective defendant or their insurance carrier to try and negotiate uh, some settlement. But when you have a catastrophic injury, such as paraplegia or quadriplegia, there's just so much involved in establishing the case that I rarely, if ever, would would start with that step. So we, we initiate the lawsuit, filing documents with the court. That takes us into a phase of uh, litigation that we call discovery. And discovery is a, dis- is a descriptive term that uh, describes how the two parties, both from the plaintiff's perspective, which is us, and the defense perspective, start gathering information that will be relevant and useful if there's a trial. And for us, in the context of a paraplegia or quadriplegia, depending on what we think went wrong, whether it's a car accident, a truck accident, uh, plane crash or anything else, we'll need to retain expert witnesses on that aspect of it, the liability aspect. But equally, if not more importantly, we've spent an awful lot of effort to establish the damages that somebody with paraplegia or quadriplegia has. Earlier in the program, you talked about the different complications that can arise, and 
people who don't have experience in this area, they think you can't walk, but you can get around in a wheelchair. But these injuries uh, are multi-systemic. Uh, they can affect the kidneys, as Dan mentioned. They can affect muscle mass. They can affect breathing. They can affect so many different areas. So we retain experts. Dan would be a good example of an expert we would retain, somebody who could uh, lay out a life care plan. Uh, we would retain psychologists and psychiatrists to talk about the depression you mentioned. We would talk to pain specialists about uh, the different modalities available for patients in that condition who do experience a great deal of pain if they have muscle spasms or other issues. Um, so there's there's a spectrum of about five or different or five to six different medical or medical related experts, economists, uh, in addition, who could start to talk about and opine as to what the cost of care might be for an individual who's going to spend the rest of their life as a quadriplegic or paraplegic. Right. Dan, please tell us more about the way the challenges, kind of things that Matthew has just been talking about, and personal needs are assessed. You've already mentioned some things, but please tell us in more detail. Well, sure. I mean, you rely on other professionals, uh, as uh, Matthew indicated, physiatrists, uh, occupational therapists, physiotherapists, to determine that uh, they're going to need X amount of care over X amount of period, then my job as a life care planner would be to quantify the cost of that by using at least three or four sources in the community to determine what that cost will be. Right. Matthew, back to you. When you file the lawsuit in the way that you've been talking about, and obviously we're always talking about paraplegia and quadriplegia, what are the things that you need to establish? Now, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm going to establish in the in the ears of the judge, so to speak, and how do you go about establishing these things for the lawsuit to succeed? Well, some things that you might uh, intuitively guess go on. You speak to witnesses. Um, if we take an example, I'll, I'll give you my most recent example of a case of, of quadriplegia. In this case, settled about uh, four or five months ago. Uh, this was a trucking accident, and... Um, the car my client was in had stalled on the highway at night and in the far right-hand lane, and the truck uh, came up from behind her and struck her car and rendered her quadriplegic. To establish that case, you need to do an awful lot. You need to have an accident reconstructionist. You need to have you need to talk to witnesses as if they're available, and in that case, there weren't many that were available. Um, you do things like uh, look to see if the highway department has cameras along the highway, which they did, that were helpful but not um, dispositive of what happened. Plus, you have to marshal together um, and get statements or depositions from uh, a variety of the medical care providers. By the time these cases get to trial, the plaintiff has been a quadriplegic for at least several years, so there's a fairly well-established pattern of what they're going to need in terms of a future care, um, maybe home modifications. You might have to get an engineer or construction professional, um, and you have to really think well beyond just the obvious, you know, injuries right in front of you. You've got to think well down the road what happens when this person ages and they can't perhaps uh, have the same access to their own home. Will they need long-term care facility? Will they need nursing care? Um, some paraplegics and quadriplegics need more nursing care than others. So there's just a great deal to assess. But we would, you know, recruit witnesses to that degree and start to marshal them together in this discovery process I mentioned earlier. Dan, 
how is compensation actually used to help persons with paraplegia or quadriplegia to overcome the challenges and get help for their personal needs? In, in the sense that it's money for services, how actually is that, does that work out? And how is it used? And in what ways is it monitored? Are there, is there any kind of quality control? Dan? Well, sure. I mean, a lot of times uh, uh, money is put into what we call an annuity. Uh, this way uh, uh, people are protected depending on uh, their lifestyle uh, from hopefully parasitic family members or, or people who may otherwise uh, abscond with the money. <clears throat> Excuse me. The, also, too, the, uh, in my opinion, that money is critical to buying your independence. Uh, obviously, if you have the money to compensate for attendant care, that ensures you're getting up and dressed in the morning, that ensures you're going at the door and, uh, as I said, going through your activities of daily living to maximize uh, your quality of life and, and ensure that you're a bona fide member of society. So to ensure that they have that money both now and in the future, and as Matt alluded to, if they do go to a, uh, a nursing home or some other facility as they get older, uh, let me put it this way. One of the defense lawyers that hired me, I think he came up with the best analogy. He said, put the person naked in the middle of the room and add what they need to get them out of the room. So, in other words, uh, if it's somebody with paraplegia, the first thing they're going to need is either a lift or someone to get them you know, from the bed into their chair. And then that means they're going to need a wheelchair. They're going to need the ability to get out the door, which means they may need a power door opener. Uh, or there's some type of modification to ensure they can independently do that. So I think if you think in terms of that, uh, you know, you you can quickly get to uh, a dollar value as to what's needed in terms both now and in the future. Just let me press you a little bit more on the question of quality assurance. Now, what I mean by that is, Everything may start off okay, but we're talking over a long period of time. Uh, people who provide services may change. Um, organizations that provide them may change. Is there any mechanism for ensuring that the quality and standard of the care is maintained throughout the life, the entire life of the person with the paraplegia or quadriplegia? Well, that's where the actuary comes in and that uh, you come up with a present-day value to ensure that dollars today are the same as totally dollars 10, 20 years from now. As far as the quality of care, uh, that really is, I think, based on the market. Um, uh, trends change uh, um, as to what is appealing for job seekers. Clearly, in the United States, the unemployment rate is quite high right now. So it's uh, difficult, I guess, to uh, to obtain employment, which means, in theory, there should be more available uh, attendance available, uh, you know, to, to work for people with disabilities. Whereas, of course, I think in a uh, boom market, uh, people may be more attracted to doing things such as I don't know, working offshore in oil rigs or, or whatever else. So it really becomes uh, market-driven, I think, in terms of the quality of care that one can see. Right. Now, on that point, we have to take our break once more. This is 
Dr. Gordon Adley and my guests are Matthew, Pat Berg and Dan Thompson. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You need to live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our listeners have told us that they want to be motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement around the clock. And we've responded to you. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's here at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Matthew Padberg and Dan Thompson. Our topic is personal injury law, paraplegia and quadriplegia and family caregivers. Now, let's talk about the ways in which persons and their family caregivers can be helped more to get the support they need and also to hear your messages for family caregivers. So, Matthew, what more would you like to do and see done to help persons living with paraplegia or quadriplegia and their family caregivers? Well, I think the most compelling um, piece of information that these families and their uh, these injured individuals and their families can use is in the acute phase of the injury, as Dan alluded to earlier. And, of course, the acute phase is shortly after the injury when the patient's still going through perhaps life-saving treatment. But there's a quick realization, or there's an early realization, that they're going to be, these injuries are permanent and they'll be deprived of the ability to walk or perhaps the inability to walk and use their arms. At that very, very critical stage, I think... What's very important for both the the injured individual and their families is to find someone who can reassure them about the future. Um, At that point, everybody that I've ever represented thinks their life is over, and they are understandably devastated. And their family members are devastated. If it's a husband and the wife um, gets this information about her husband who's injured, she's devastated. She's devastated for herself, for her husband, for her children. So what they really need, I think, at that stage is hope. 
And the place to get hope is not necessarily in the hospitals where they are. They're very good medical. Uh, there's always good medical treatment available, but there's there are organizations that are available that will reach out early and start to counsel um, these folks. We talked about depression earlier. I think a lot of that is to head off the potential for depression to give, um, you know, you want to give the injured individual the will and determination to, you know, fight through their injury, to start their rehab, and to start their first steps into a productive and successful life, which is very much available in today's society, even with these devastating injuries. Dan, what more would you like to do and see done to help persons living with paraplegia or quadriplegia and their family caregivers? No, I, I think uh, uh, just to uh, uh, capitalize on that, knowledge is power. Uh, the more knowledge those individuals have, uh, and they can do that through a variety of sources, either through uh, uh, the American Paraplegic Association, the Canadian Paraplegic Association, or uh, um, just go online. And there's a whole wealth of resources available to individuals to show them how they can travel despite having their paraplegia or quadriplegia, how they can still have a relationship uh, you know, with their spouse uh, despite uh, their paraplegia or quadriplegia. Um, in one of the cases I just did, uh, the gentleman went through the Craig Institute, which is a large uh, uh, facility specializing in spinal cord injury out of Colorado. And part of what they do is they teach them everything from home modifications to how to do their own catheterizations to how to uh, uh, deal with sexuality and all that. And I think um, what defines us as men and women is uh, uh, what our value or what our niche in society is. So again, if they used to be something uh, in terms of vocation that was physically orientated, how do you now take that knowledge and the experience apply it into something that uh, they can thrive or survive in. And I think that is, uh, you know, very important. So I would like to see more communication or even collaboration of individuals so that they can become an economic entity. That way, if Joe or Josie doesn't make their place accessible, they're not going to get my purchasing power. Right. Matthew, what's your message for family caregivers caring for family members living with paraplegia or quadriplegia. Matthew? Well, in the context of those injuries and litigation, I'd probably give them a couple of buzzwords. They would be focus, they would be patience, and they would be hope. I think the first thing to realize is that if you're in litigation or some kind of legal setting with these injuries, you have to learn patience. And that's very, very hard for folks who have had a devastating injury. They want to know they're going to be taken care of. They want answers now, and all that's understandable. But in litigation, in cases like this where there's a devastating injury, um, the strength of the way these cases are defended isn't directly proportional to the injury. So there's strong defenses. Um, the insurance companies throw a lot of resources at it, so it's a long, hard fight. So the word number one in the litigation field is patience. Just trust your lawyer and allow the process to unfold. While you're doing that, focus. Focus on the future. Focus on the present. So focusing on the future is you will have a productive life. You will have a successful life. This is not the end of your life, which requires you to focus now on what the many health care providers who will be taking care of you are saying, which is focus on your rehab, work on your rehab, 
I'll work the hardest you can to get the most independence you can. And if a family and the injured person focuses on those concepts, they will have a much better way of it through this process than those who can't. Dan, it's the same question. What's your message for family caregivers caring for family members living with paraplegia or quadriplegia? I think it stems from the same message I said before, which is knowledge is power. But I think ultimately the onus is on you would be my message. In other words, um, if you listen to your health care professionals, if you adhere to what they're prescribing, if you seek out knowledge and information, then within reason, I wouldn't say anything is possible, but you certainly may be able to reach beyond what you ever thought was possible. And uh, I think to some extent uh, I'm living proof of that. So, uh, um, But it took the catalyst of having, um, I guess, the, uh, uh, the fear of, of the unknown and overcoming that fear and then trying to uh, pursue you know, small gains. So with small successes comes more success, and inevitably you'll be able to, uh, uh, to do a lot more than you ever thought was possible. Step by step. Now, I want to just pick up on a couple of things that you both said that really come together. This show, this talk show, is about family caregivers and family caregiving, and both of you, in somewhat different ways, have emphasized the value of family caregiving. Matthew, in the what I'll call the hospital phase, the acute recovery, the, 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 the treatment phase, um, you stress that. And Dan, in your own life, when you were talking about that, you stress the importance of having your family around you at critical moments. So that's a very strong message. Now, where it also, um, these, this message also relates to things that I hear regularly on the show is hope. You both said it. Um, the sense that you're not alone, that there are others who know what you're talking about, have been through or are going through the same things that you're going through. And then that sense of wanting to know more information. And so the very first thing that um, my guests have so often said is when something strikes like this, the f they listen to what the doctors say, but they only take in a little of it because it's their thoughts are all over the place. And so what they need is information. Then after that, they want to be able to connect with other people who've been through this experience, and after that, they want to become part of a community that's buoyed along, that's carried along with hope. So all of the things, thank you, that you've both been saying fit perfectly into that framework, which is not just for paraplegia and quadriplegia, but with all kinds of the things that strike families uh, in the most in the harshest way. So I want to thank you both for sharing everything, uh, your insights and your advice, and I want to wish you both every, every success in your work because you are people who care about the people you're helping.
I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. Our next episode is Artists Unite to Triumph Over Health Adversity. Please join us. Same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again twice every week, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until the next show, we hope our programs help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.